tell you about my friend Dan, or Danimal, as we came to call him. Um, I met Dan in 2004. We started uh, at McMaster Divinity College at McMaster University in Hamilton uh, at the same time, and um, we got to be really great friends over those years, and we've continued to be. It's been like a 16-year friendship. I think the math is right. Um, I'm horrible at math, so uh, something like that. And this Christmas, he messaged me. He gave me permission to share all this. And so he, he sent me a message. I'm just going to show you I, the screenshots I took here. He said, hey, you know, what's your mailing address? So I put it down there. And then I said to him, totally joking, might be expensive to put a strat in the mail, but I won't say no. Joking. A strat. You say, what's that? Well, that's a guitar. It's not the kind that I have. They sound great. Um, he has one. And I'm joking around. And then, then he sends this back. You know what's weird? I just prayed about shipping you an American special strat and felt led to do it. If we were charismatic, I would call you prophetic. No joking. And then I wrote, you are joking, right? <laughs> not at all. I'm rarely serious, and that's true, but I'm not joking. Just make sure you're happy with the color, etc. Texas special pickups talks about whatever. I mean, that's crazy, Dan. What on earth are you doing? And, and, and he was serious. And, uh, but this is what he said next. You probably don't know this, but your friendship saved my life. I was in a very dark place back in 2004. I had a rough upbringing and still have mental health issues as a result, but is good and I'm doing well. I wanted to say thank you with a strat. Apparently, I left out the word God. God is good. So you'd play it? Yes, Dan, I would play it. And I have been. The point of this story that time together, even though it's two short years, was life shared. Um, not because we had lots in common, because actually we didn't. There's a lot of ways that Dan and I are very different people, um, but we shared guitar stuff in common. That's true. We played a lot of music together, uh, and we studied together. I, I wouldn't have passed Greek, or I would have done very poorly in it, had Dan not been my study partner. He's very diligent, very smart young man, and I went on to major in New Testament Greek. Is kind of like what I focused on. So um, thank you, Dan, for your work in that. But in some ways, you know, really, we have an, had an unlikely friendship. But we had something at the center of it that grounded us, that bound us together, and it was God's grace. The good news of Jesus' love meant for us that we were legitimately brothers in Christ, um, as Paul says in, in, in Romans 12, verse 4, that we belong to each other, and we really experience that. Uh, that means we have a responsibility, one to the other, to encourage, to give courage to each other as we share in God's grace. This is the way that Paul speaks of his friendship with the community of Jesus' followers in Philippi. Just listen to how he addresses them. This is chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles open. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Did, just catch the tone of what he's saying there. You hear this joy, this utter joy as he remembers and prays for them. And remember, he is in jail at this point too. He's filled with joy in a difficult place. But he continues this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you and if you're familiar with this passage, most of our minds think of he who began a good work in you, and we think of it individualistically. 
as though he's saying, like, you as, a, as, a, as an individual. Uh, that's not what Paul means here. He means, as people say in Hamilton, use guys, okay? Or, or in Texas, the y'all, okay? So here's, here's another way to translate it. I think that will, will keep us, protect us from that individualistic reading would go like this. Um, Paul is confident that he who began a good work in y'all, or use guys, as God's church, as his people, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What is that good work that he's talking about? What is God wanting to do in us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about spiritual friendship as a key element of that good work. For just listen to what Paul says next. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And, and we're thinking like, Paul, that sounds a little bit, a little bit too intimate. Like, I'm not going to call the dudes in my life like, I have you in my heart. Well, it, it sounds odd to our ears, but Paul is going to tell us why he can speak like that and actually why we should as well. Listen to what he goes on to say. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection, longing. Friendship is at the heart of our humanity because friendship is at the heart of God. In our series, in the first, first session, we looked at the reality That God creates out of love, out of the community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he creates us for community. And then in the second message, we looked at the reality that uh, of of the four practices that, that kept the early church grounded. It was devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to prayer. And, and I would say this, with, this sounds strong, but I really believe it, without recognizing why we've been created, that we're created for friendship, for community. And without having these practices of reflecting on the good news of Jesus together, we will actually be deformed. Because our life together will begin to be shaped around something other than Jesus and his heart of love for us. See, it's far too easy for us to slip into consumerism rather than servanthood, to religious practice rather than staying rooted in the gospel, and being vague acquaintances rather than true friends. But I'm convinced that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So today we're going to explore more about the grounding of our life in community, our friendship grounding, the character and shape of that connection, And then what it looks like in practice. So really, we're going to talk about Christian friendship. Let's pray as we begin. God, I thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write his affection down, to show us in these words his his understanding of friendship and what that means for us too. So Holy Spirit, come now. Open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to this text, through this text to us, your people. For your joy, we pray. And for our joy, amen. First, in our text today, we see that Christian friendship and true community, that's the fruit of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Listen again to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. And then he says that all of you share in God's grace 
with me. Now, this grace that he speaks, what does he mean quite there? God's grace is God's kindness, not something that we earn. Uh, it's, it's regardless of what we've done, God pours out his grace on us. And that's especially seen in the reality that God himself comes in the flesh as Jesus, our Messiah, our loving leader. And he lets his life break so ours could heal. When Paul writes the church in Philippi, in chapter 2, he begins with a string of rhetorical questions as well. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And now I say these are, this is a, these are rhetorical questions because Paul anticipates that the answer to every one of them would be, yes, of course we do. Of, of course we do. So I, we could say it like this, maybe. If you have any encouragement from united, being united with Christ, comfort from his love, sharing in the spirit commonly together, tenderness and, and compassion, as of course you do. That's what he means to say there. Then, and then he's going to give us the follow-up. We'll look at that in a moment. But, you know, in our, in our, in our study this upcoming week, we'll look more into this text. But I want, to see, I want us to see that what unites the ancient church and what continues to unite us together, to each other, to all other believers right now, to all believers throughout history, what unites us when we profess Jesus as our loving leader is Jesus himself. That's what it means to say that we're grounded in the gospel. Now, if you're not familiar with kind of Christian language, um, you might hear Christians talk about the gospel. Or maybe you are familiar with it, but you'd say, like, I don't know if someone asked me, what is the gospel? I don't know if I'd know how to describe it quite. Well, let me give you a definition um, that I've come up with. First of all, the gospel means good news. So it's an announcement, but it's a royal announcement. Every time good news is used in the Bible, it's to announce the arrival of a king. So it's the royal announcement that Jesus is king. So the content of the gospel, the announcement, what is it? The announcement is Jesus. Jesus is the, is the reigning king. Uh, here's how I put it. Jesus, though fully God, he has come to us as fully human too. And he does it because of his deep, deep love for the world. He lives a perfect life, dies a sinner's death, in our place on a Roman cross and rises again triumphant over sin and evil and death to bring all who trust in him together. That's the community piece under God's gracious kingdom rule. That's going to shape how we live. And he will come again to restore all of his good creation and his people within it. That's the good news that connects us to God and to each other. This is the basis of our fellowship, of, of spiritual friendship. Why can Paul say he, he speaks with you know, such affection for this group of people? He can't possibly know them all in really intimate ways, can he? Well, it's because they belong to each other through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis, he writes this. He says, friendship must be about something even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And I think he's right. See, see, real friendship isn't just like, I want a friendship. Okay, great. But, and, and Lewis argues that those who just want friends are rarely those who have them. Why? Because friendship has to be about something. 
Um, and then Lewis goes on to say, really the main question is, do you see the same truth that I see? It's like this, it's, it's standing shoulder to shoulder, not face to face with something. Shoulder to shoulder, looking out and saying, do you see the horizon, the new creation that's coming? Do you see Jesus and his good news? And friendship, Christian friendship, is based on that standing shoulder to shoulder. I, I put this quote in, in the book that I, that I have prepared for you, and it's worth repeating. He says, uh, Tim Keller writes this, he says, for believers in Christ, despite enormous differences in class, temperament, and culture, race, sensibility, and personal history, there's an underlying commonality that is more powerful than them all. This is not so much a thread as an indestructible steel cable. Christians have all experienced the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus. We have all had our identity changed at the root. So now God's calling and love are more foundational to to who we are than any other thing. And we also long for the same future, journey to the same horizon, what the Bible calls the new creation. That's standing shoulder to shoulder. Now, commenting on the overall thrust of Paul's friendship with the Philippian church, scholar Stephen Fowle, he he notes that our common view of friendship today is the ability for us to like, for friends to share anything and everything with each other. So conversation really becomes the, the central practice of friendship. It's the primary path to intimacy. Now, for me, no argument there, right? That's, I, I think that's true. In fact, we see Jesus. He shares his thoughts with his disciples all the time. That's why they have so much material to write the Gospels. A big part of friendship, then, is being able to talk about the deep things that are going on in our lives, our fears, our hopes, dreams, concerns, and we trust the other person with that. Great. But then Fowell goes on to note, he says, Christian friendships are primarily focused around a specific sort of conversation. This is a conversation in which friends help each other to fit their lives into the ongoing drama of God's salvation. This is not to say that Christian friends only talk about this, but these particular conversations are constitutive of Christian friendship because they help us order our common life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and help enhance our prospects of deepening our communion with God and with others. Yeah, Dan and I, we talk a lot about guitars. That's true. We talk a lot about Jesus and life with him as well. Guitars are fine. It's the gospel. That's the steel cable. There are numerous elements to this practice of conversation as well. But first, foul notes, it requires being able to encourage and instruct each other based on God's saving purposes. Augustine, in the 5th century, he says that a person speaks more or less wisely to the extent that they are more or less proficient in Scripture. What's he saying there? Those who live and breathe what the Bible story is, who understand the text, who commune with the living God through what the Scriptures teach— you speak more or less wisely based on more or less your proficiency in the scriptures. And think of it. We often go to friends, right? When we need to think through a specific issue that we're having. Maybe it's a painful experience in your work. Maybe it's a relationship challenge. Maybe it has to do with your parenting. The question becomes, what are we actually offering to each other? 
Christian friends will be helping us to see how our lives and our situations fit into the Christian story, the big picture of God's work. And our ability goes back, as we saw last week, to that devotion to the apostles' teaching. It's as we live our lives in the text, in the world of the scriptures, that we are more or less able to be wise in our conversations. It's to say, do you see the same truth as I see? And for believers in Jesus, that means looking at Jesus and his way of life. Came up last week in a discussion with some friends, and one pointed out that in the challenges we might be facing, like in parenting, we're going to need to be a people who are consistently and constantly studying the scriptures, to live in the scriptures, and not in a shallow sort of way. Her point was that we need to not assume that we just know what the scriptures teach. We need to actually go back to them and study carefully. And also, we don't study in isolation from others as well. We study alongside of those who know the scriptures well and can help us to read well as a community. And not only that, we also walk alongside of those who have more experience in living that life of wisdom, who embody the life of Jesus in the way that they live. So as Christian friends, we don't just offer each other good advice. We offer each other what's rooted in the good news, rooting our lives in the story of Jesus and what he's calling us to. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about the shape of Christian friendship now. So Christian understanding of of, of friendship is that it functions to help us. We're, We're to help each other, as Paul is doing with his friends in the church of Philippi, help each other to live Jesus shaped lives. Now back to our text in chapter two. It's because of these factors, these grounds of unity, being united with Christ, comfort from his love, sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, because this is what they do share in Christ, Paul then gives these instructions. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, What's he saying there? He's saying stand shoulder to shoulder and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let that be what fills up the content, that love, that single-mindedness, that oneness in the spirit, that standing shoulder to shoulder with each other. This statement has enough challenge of its own, doesn't it? Just that. We can just leave on that point and say, go and do that. Yes, great. But Paul goes on. He sharpens his focus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing, Paul? Really? Did he just say that? Does he mean it? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The me at the center way of life. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Not only does that sound impossible, it sounds actually irresponsible to us, doesn't it? What about self-care, right? We've, we've We've got some pushback about this text. But it also sounds exactly like the kind of friend you want to have, doesn't it? And doesn't it sound like the kind of friend you want to be to others too? Doesn't that sound like the kind of community you want to be a part of? At this point, we might say as well, okay, Paul, great. Wow, challenging. Can you draw me a picture? Maybe if I could see what it looks like, then I would know how to actually do it. And lo and behold, he does he begins to draw a magnificent picture. He begins to sketch this outline and it goes like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now that word mindset is best defined as the pattern, a pattern 
of thinking, feeling, and acting. So it's not just a cognitive thing. It's that and more. It's a whole pattern of life. So we sing, here's the picture, adopt the same, very same pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not uh, consider equality with God is something to be used to his own advantage. For make no mistake, Paul is saying Jesus is equal with God. The word he uses there is isos. Now you've heard of an isosceles triangle. An isosceles triangle has two equal length sides on it. Equal. Does Paul mean it? He means it. This is actually important. If someone were to ask you, so does the Bible really teach that Jesus is God? Does the the scripture actually teach that? Um, I want you to know the reference to be able to say, yes, it does. Well, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the best places you can go to see that. Jesus is called equal with God by Paul here, unflinchingly. But Paul's big point is this. Jesus, he who is one and the same as the living God, equal with God, doesn't use that equality for his own advantage. What does he do? Well, this is what humility is all about. Humility is seeking the benefit of the other. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's just like not thinking about yourself. So a humble person isn't a groveling person. They are the ones who are deeply generous with their time and their energy. They're the ones when you've had a conversation with someone who's humble, you go, wow, they're a good listener. Yeah. Sounds like a good friend, doesn't it? So instead of using his equality with God for his own advantage, what does Jesus do? The picture Paul paints starts to feel in the details a bit more. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Yes, because he is God, he's always existed in closest relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Yet for our sake, he comes down, takes on our humanity. He willingly chooses the low position for you, but more. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we should note this. Uh, Paul just used the word humility for the second time that we've seen this morning. Which, by the way, the word humility that he uses here has never in the history of the Greco-Roman world until this text comes along been used in any positive sense. It's used positively in the Hebrew Bible, that's true. But in the Greco-Roman world into which Paul is writing, this is the very first time humility is seen as a positive virtue. Up to this point, it's always been equated with servile weakness. The only people this word gets used with is the the lowest of the lowest slaves. And Paul not only says that it's a positive virtue, he says that God lives this virtue. So this is a stunning word in its setting. Jesus dies the most shame-filled death, treated as a criminal, common criminal, mocked, ridiculed as a failure, But it's through this death, Paul is announcing that Jesus is winning the victory for us all. And this very same way of thinking, this pattern of humility, Paul says that needs to be the pattern of our common life as well. That's what we adopt as our mindset with with each other. And as you just heard, if you were paying attention, 
my guess is that some of you might have thought something like this. If Paul really means it, I give up. Uh, This is so ridiculously idealistic. If that's what God wants, he'll have to find someone else. Some of you felt that way. And all of us should have felt that way to some extent. For unless God radically reshapes my heart, I have no hope of actually doing this. Not really. And I think that's absolutely the case. See, Paul is not naive to this challenge either. And he says as much. Listen to how he summarizes this whole section in uh, Philippians 12, or 2, 12 and 13. I'm, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because it, it captures it the best. It says this, Work hard to show the result of your salvation. The result of your salvation. Paul is still speaking about how to order our lives in the way of Jesus. That's what he means when he says the results of your salvation. Work hard to show that. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you see that? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Note, it's not work for your salvation. You could never do that. Uh, That's not even possible. Our salvation is a total gift. God doing for us through Jesus, his son, what we could never do for ourselves. We receive that, we revel in it, we find joy in it, and then that fuels our running after what God has for us. But notice too, when we work out the results of our salvation in our relationships with one another, that's what Paul's talking about, it is actually God who's working it out in us, who's giving us both the desire, like, do you want to live like Jesus? If you do, that's God giving you that desire. And if you're going to actually do it, it's going to be God enabling it. God gives you the desire and the power to do it. So we don't have to read this in hopelessness. I love that. See, this word is only, this news only becomes good news when we recognize that it's through this act of self-giving love that the King of Kings rescues us from our self-centeredness and enables us to begin to look even in ever so slightly new ways, begin to look outside of ourselves and to love other people, really just to love them. When we trust in Jesus, he remakes our hearts and then he enables us to reorient our whole story around the Jesus story. And that's what makes Paul's heart sing when he thought and prayed for this community. But notice too, Christian friendship is expansive, it's not exclusive. One of the things that hit me between the eyes as I read this text again was the repetition of the word all. Like, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I don't think Paul is being dramatic here. I think he does long for this community, even if he doesn't know them all super well. I can honestly say that just that week I spent in Ukraine last year, I legitimately like think about and pray for those I shared a very brief window of time with. And I do it with genuine affection too, and I can't quite explain it. Other than that, by God's grace, that's the steel, unbreakable steel cable connection that, that God gives us. And so through Christian friendship, or pardon me, though Christian friendship will mean closeness with some people in particular. For Paul, it was people like Silas and Luke and Timothy. They were, they were traveling with him they would have shared life far more deeply than most of those in Philippi. Yet, Christian friendship is expansive, not exclusive. 
What do I mean? You are going to have best friends, and that's actually important. You need to have some people that you've journeyed with for a long time. You grow in deep trust with each other. They've proven their trustworthiness, and, and they've won the right to speak into your life and you into theirs in a deeply personal way. That is something good and worth cultivating, but that that we have deep friendships with some people doesn't leave us with a closed offness and openness to others, does it? In fact, sharing together in the gospel means we can have a surprisingly deep connection and sense of affection, really true friendship, even with people we just meet. Now, Catherine and I were traveling in Turkey in 2009, and we were in Fethiye, it's on the Mediterranean coast in western Turkey, and we sat down in a restaurant and we're ordering and then, I, I don't know if it's because we prayed before our meal or something, but our waiter comes up to us and says, are you guys Christians? At which point, I'm kind of going like, gulp, what do I say here? A little bit. We felt very safe in Turkey, but, um, so I, yeah, actually, um, I'm a pastor at a Christian church as well, and because it's all oh, me too. I, and he begins to share his life with us. <laughs> and for the next, like he, he would, because he kept having to focus on his other tables, but then he'd come back and he'd show us pictures of his family and his kids. And, and it was, and he told us his life story. In fact, he had planted a church in eastern Turkey around the Syrian border. Uh, his church was bombed and he lost a uh, lot of cognitive ability. He was an engineer prior. Now he was waiting on tables. And we're just like, moved by this guy's story and said, well, like, can we help with your daughters? Like, they were struggling financially. And he said, no, you can't because people will be suspicious if I come home with a bunch of money. So we even tried to, like, give to him. But we had this deep sense of affection. Why? Because the Spirit of God has bound us together as brother and sister in Christ. That's what God is doing. And we can, we can experience genuine closeness with people we just meet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has bound us together. Now, I recognize there may be some reasons why you might be here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, that sort of sense of deep friendship, it sounds nice, but I'm not, I'm not so sure. I really want to get that close to people. You might have hesitations for a few reasons. Maybe you've developed deep friendships, but people have left. Like, I mean, this is a transient town. If you're a university student, you're going to have people coming and going into your life. You might think it's just not worth it to do deep community and true friendship. Maybe have some, you know, some acquaintances on the side. Or for those on the other side of life, if you're, if you're in your later years, man, your circle of friends sometimes grows smaller because your friends pass away, right? I remember my granddad, um, he, he would go to, for breakfast at A&W every morning. Uh, had the, what he called the Liars Club. It's this big group of guys. They would just sit there and like eat breakfast and lie to each other for hours. It was, it was awesome. A real sense of true friendship there, right? Anyways, but I can remember... As my granddad aged into his 90s, I would sometimes go and just go for breakfast and I would go and expect the Liars Club and sometimes see my granddad just eating all on his own. All his friends were passing away. He was outliving them all. And there was this sadness over that whole situation. I think, oh man, like there's reasons why friendship's hard and you've got to keep cultivating friendships. And so there's reasons you might be hesitant to make new friendships or open your circle or you don't think you need friends, but you know what? Paul needed his friends. He developed closeness. He was prepared to speak words of intimacy to these people. And that's not all. Guess who else needed friendship? Jesus. He calls 12 people around him, three of them really specifically as his like, dearest friends. And we see in John 15, he calls them what? He says, you are my friends, because he shares his plans with them. 15, uh, 
Jesus writes, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I've heard from my father. Jesus is always thinking out loud. He's saying things like, would you please come and pray with me? Man, if you think you don't need to invite people to come and pray with you, Jesus did. How could we possibly think we don't need that? Colton passed on a sermon to me, a sermon text this week, and he said, it was great. I read through it, and, and, the, and the author says, if you, if you don't need people, if you're afraid of accountability, if you're afraid of people looking inside, if you're afraid of people nosing into your business, if you're afraid of love, the less you want friends, the less like God you are. Don't you realize what's the purpose of creation? What's the purpose of redemption? What's the purpose of everything God has done since creation? To make us friends. So practically, don't be closed off to those new people that you're going to be meeting, that God is going to be bringing across your path. Bring them into your home. When the gospel is at the center, you are going to be kneeling before the same person, with your eyes fixed on the same horizon. And when you share Jesus in common, you are going to be very surprised at the kind of people who could become best friends with you and you with them. Dan and I, again, we were unlikely friends in so many ways, and yet we had this richness and beautiful friendship. But we also need to see that the Christian friendship is expansive because it is eccentric. Now, ek is the, the, the Greek preposition that means out from. It moves out from, meaning it moves outward in love toward the world. Christian friendship actually expands so that we might envelop more people with this good news of Jesus' love. As we saw in our text last week, the disciples devoted themselves to fellowship. And like I said, we often hear that fellowship and we think, you know, like tea and cookies after church in the hall or something. Um, But it means, the koinonia means to share. It means common, to have something in common. And as we saw in that early church in the book of Acts, they shared their meals, they shared their time, they shared their prayers. And not only that, they shared their property, like their finances. Paul speaks in this text of their partnering in the gospel. Now, this partnering, yes, it's mutual interest in each other's friendship. It's praying for each other too, but that's not all. What Paul is also talking about is their mission. They are together partnered for the cause of the gospel. And we find out at the end of this letter that that included financial support. They were sharing, and that got as personal as the pocketbook. Together, this community is working alongside of Paul for the same ultimate goal, to bring praise to Jesus as they share the news of Jesus with others and make more and more friends of God. Our purpose hasn't changed. And we need to see, lastly, because the community of the redeemed, our friendship as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's never-ending, and that's news our world needs too. Paul says later in the letter, in 4.1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. (laughs) More of that intimacy language. Do you see that? Do you talk to your friends that way? Man, maybe I should. You are my joy. You're my crown. Wow. Paul, I I love this. I want to do this, but it sounds hard. Anyways, Help me. Help me to love others like this because I think this is the picture. All right? This is it. My joy and my crown. What's his message? Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Again, dear friends. So the question is, in what way? 
If he's pointing back, and I think he is to what he just said, then he means this, what we read in 3, 20 and 21. He says, remember that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That hope That assures us that the love that we share now, it's without parting. When we say goodbye to friends, and painful as that can be, it's never ultimate. It's never forever. Not really. And that enables us to love like it's never going to end, because guess what? It's never going to end. And that gives us hope. That encourages us to dive deep into friendships, friends that help us undergo transformation, friends that join us in mission, friends that will be together with forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And that hope isn't just for one day floating in the clouds somewhere. No, it's an embodied hope that we will be given real resurrection bodies to hug and be hugged in, to continue to share life together with, and to see you face to face. Fill us with that hope, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, if there's any here this morning who don't know that hope that they would put their trust in you today, that they would turn and say, God, I know that I've blown it, that I've sinned, And I need you at the center because you made me for yourself. So God, if there's people who need to come to you, I I just pray, Father, that you would move their hearts to respond with a yes to life under your reign today, that they might become friends of God and deep, true friends in community as well. And Lord, we pray that you would keep shaping and transforming us through our community, through our friendships with one another, for your glory and our joy. Amen.